Oh, obviously, spoilers. <laughs> We're going to be talking about a lot of plot points. So if you haven't seen the show, yeah. make sure you go watch it before you listen to this podcast. How we're going to go about this critique is first we're going to talk a little bit about Birdie. Then we're going to talk about Tuca. And finally, we're going to talk about Tuca and Birdie's relationship. So for me, what stands out a lot about Birdie is her sexual violence trauma. And that is what I study. I'm a PhD candidate studying how to communicate sexual violence trauma while minimizing the risk of triggering survivors. So I was so mad at myself for not seeing the signs and not seeing it coming until the episode where they reveal her trauma, but there really are clues scattered throughout, which is amazing. Her, um, her agoraphobia, her general anxiety disorder, her discomfort of having a body, all of these are symptoms of somebody who has been sexually abused. The way that they portrayed how it impacts her life without her knowing it was mm-hmm. absolute brilliance. Yeah. The one thing that I did find confusing a little was when Pete pseudo-sexually assaults her by like forcing mm-hmm. her face into the banana roux and she reacts by masturbating. I was like, what the heck is going on? My reaction to my trauma was to like anesthetize it, to really bury my sexuality. And um, that's how I dealt with my trauma. And I know other survivors go in the opposite direction, but it was very different for me to see her react that way because it's the complete opposite yeah. of how I would have done. You know, Brittany's really interesting because on the one hand, like, it's so easy to relate to her. I feel like when I was watching it, I also was taken by surprise the fact that she was a survivor. Obviously, I hadn't seen the signs, but I, like, still related to her anxiety problems. I was like, I have days like this. I get this. Obviously, I'm not a trauma survivor, but at the same time, I'm like, oh, well, I see my, I, I see elements of myself in Birdie. So it was kind of nice that they had kind of done that. I feel like it was good that they built up to revealing her trauma because in a way you relate so much with her. You see yourself reflected in her. She's so like reflective of, I think, the experience of women a lot now, kind of, especially in urban settings mm-hmm. of uh, being afraid to kind of go for stuff that mm-hmm. they want in terms of promotions, mm-hmm. being afraid to speak up, being talked over. Um, there, there's just so much of her that is quintessential to the woman experience and mm-hmm. then she's a survivor and that complicates mm-hmm. things so much more. Mm-hmm. Especially uh, if I can add in a point there, you were talking about the urban experience. Uh, For me, what stuck out a lot was the episode where it's self-care Saturday and she has this cute onesie that she wants to wear, but she goes jogging and then she gets harassed by like three different men who catcall her. And then when she goes home, she's afraid to shower because Mm -hmm. she's afraid the pigeon like installed cameras or is going to come back. And then she doesn't just get rid of the top and think like, okay, maybe I'll wear it another day. She literally shreds it in like a paper shredder. <laughs> the extra mile. <laughs> Never exactly. again, basically. So I think that um, captures really well, especially living in a city, like the fear and how you yeah. basically have to second guess yourself and take all sorts of precautions that you really shouldn't have to to protect yourself from men yeah no indeed like it would be nice if all of us could be Tuka and like have her confidence mm-hmm. in the city but a lot of us don't um and i think like wood is uh, wtus which stands for mm, women yes. uh taking up space yes, there we go yes, yes. uh they're such a good example of i mean i don't know if they're trauma survivors in the group they don't really deal with that but it sort of shows that there are clearly other people in the city feeling the same thing mm-hmm. they're like women just don't know how to take up space and <laughs> we react in different ways in yes. order to get that space like <laughs> 
in Birdie's case, she tries to take up space, mm-hmm. gets kind of freaked out, and ends up having to sort of run back home. Though she develops her own personal mantra, still in the end, she lets kind of Pete yes. take up her space, is the better mm-hmm. way to put that. Yeah. Um, but then when you you sort of see the other women there, like some of them are just really, really angry. Like, <laughs> one of them. Eat my ass, Kevin! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so some, of, some people's response is just anger, right? And that's kind of the only way to do it. Mm. And society doesn't like it when you take up space that mm-hmm. way. Others, it's like the more kind of silent taking up the space, like the, the potato exercise of just man-spreading. <laughs> <laughs> the sort of just like, I'm going to force you to be in my space. I'm oh just not going to be loud about it. So it's interesting seeing these different women, and who knows, maybe not even women in some cases, but like mm-hmm. non-binary folk, it was mm-hmm. not really identified, finding a way to take up space. And so that was a really interesting part of her story. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to go back to the whole masturbation thing. It is such a mysterious moment once you find out that she's a trauma survivor. Beforehand, it's like, okay, so she is attracted to him. Maybe there's some something going on there. Like there was that whole spanking thing mm-hmm. with Speckle, which didn't go so well, but clearly mm-hmm. she kind of wanted something like that. Mm-hmm. So you sort of think it's connected to that. You don't really know what's going on. And then once she becomes a, like, once it's revealed that she has gone through this assault, you're just like, okay, this makes even less sense than it did the first time. And there's this really good movie, I don't remember the name of the director, but it's called Mysterious Skin. And it's focused on these two boys who also go through a sexual assault in their youth. And they go on different paths kind of in life to either deal with that trauma or just kind of evolve past it. And for one of the boys, the the assault, because he was being preyed on by his soccer coach, uh, it was actually a sexual awakening for him. He associated sex with the act of like taking and receiving and this traumatic experience. And so I'm wondering if for Birdie that's kind of the case as well Mm -hmm. a little bit, where some of her sexual formation, because she was 12 when it happened, Mm -hmm. it was her first sexual encounter, Mm -hmm. that maybe she associates that, unfortunately, with Mm -hmm. kind of the sexual drive, right? Mm -hmm. So which is why, like, in order to deal with these painful memories, she can't really associate it with anything. She doesn't know Mm -hmm. how to communicate it. It just turns into sexual frustration. Right. And so she masturbates. And that is also what is impacting her mm-hmm. relationship with Speckle. He just doesn't understand where her insecurity is coming from. I feel like he kind of shrugs it off. She tries to tell him that she's afraid of buying the house and like 30 oh, yeah, yeah. year mortgage. And she's like, what am I going to do when you die? Because statistically men die before. And he's like, oh, you would be such a cute widow. So he doesn't understand the level at which commitment scares her. And what I found so interesting about that conversation is he wants to do something good with this, but he doesn't realize that he's basically turning Birdie into an image mm-hmm. in the process because he's like, oh, I just keep on imagining you in the house. And then he can't listen to her as a result of that because he's off in fantasy land. So as much as Birdie has a hard time talking, he also doesn't really create a space in that exactly. moment to communicate. So it's no surprise in the final episode when she's afraid to tell him what's wrong because in her experience he hears her but he's not actually listening. Actually that ties kind of well to this interesting woman they're trying to sexually experiment and he starts to spank her. And before that happens he starts to set up a safe word. He doesn't really get Brady to understand the importance of it. Mm-hmm. And then it almost takes him too long to realize that Brady's having a negative reaction. He doesn't really check up on his partner and as a result Brady ends up a very snotty crime mess. <laughs> only afterward he starts using the safe word for him which is the weirdest thing she's the <laughs> one potato, word potato. <laughs> <laughs> so again speckle's a really good guy but there are certain flaws that he kind of has to do mm-hmm. with himself mm-hmm. and one of them is the speed at which they're moving he's clearly not mm-hmm. checking in enough with exactly. her they weren't able to negotiate how to use up space that also ties into birdie's commitment issues yeah the fear of commitment comes up in the very first episode when 
you can see the apartment is all of Birdie's stuff and Speckle has one item on the table. <laughs> so Birdie wants him to be there. And yeah. I totally get that. As a survivor, you need to feel connected with somebody and you need to feel safe to help you heal. But it's a catch-22. You need to let people into your life, but it's so terrifying and difficult that you can't. And it's interesting how that affects several of her relationships. I mean, it mostly affects the one with Speckle. But her inability to communicate affects her relationship with Dakota, to an mm, extent. Yes, yeah. Uh, partly just because she's... Maybe she's afraid of losing her job. It's hard for her to kind of process what happened with Pete, and then she doesn't really warn Dakota about what happened. Mm-hmm. And maybe even with Tuka. Yeah. Ultimately, she doesn't even tell Tuka that she's needy to her face. And so Brady does have a hard time kind of putting herself first. Damn, Vince, why you gotta do me like that? One of my favorite two lines. I love that she's not mad at Brady, she's mad at the Vince. Vince. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so communication is such an interesting thing and in how that ties mm. to commitment issues. Yes, I think. Communication for both of them. Yeah. Tuka has a hard time talking as well. One last thing I want to mention about Birdie and her trauma before moving on to Tuka is how well they handled her divulging her trauma mm-hmm. to Tuka and how beautiful it was to take the aesthetics of the broken egg, which we'll talk about later. Baby Birdie <laughs> didn't have any details to her. You can see her face or her eyes. She was just shadow or like a ghost which is so fitting Mm -hmm. for trauma because when sexual trauma happens like that or when you lose your agency it feels like like a death so I just want to say how beautifully they handled that and how not triggering it was how they didn't give a lot of details of physical pain or overwhelming emotions or anything like that and it's so good that they did that to prevent people getting triggered from watching it, but you still know enough to put the pieces together and you can figure it out Mm -hmm. for yourself. Actually, it was really interesting that you mentioned death, just because young Birdie being at the bottom of the lake works so Mm -hmm. well with that, right? Mm -hmm. And she's still faceless. She's still like a silhouette Mm -hmm. when current Birdie goes to meet her. Uh, And there's this whole notion she's like at the bottom of the lake, she has died. Like there's a part of her that will always be at the bottom of this lake. Which is why Birdie does not swim. She doesn't say, I can't swim. She says, I don't swim. swim. One of the things I wanted to bring up with that is that it's so interesting then because Brady starts to sink. So she's trying to replace mm-hmm. that memory of her past trauma mm. with a new memory, a positive one, a triumph, right? Mm. But on the way there, she sinks. Almost like she can't get there. There's this final obstacle. There's this last You're talking holding. about the, the swim right now. Yeah, okay. I'm talking about the swim. Right, okay, because I was picturing... The first time that she almost drowns, which was not a rewriting of the trauma. The first time that she, again, almost drowns is reliving the trauma in like a weird pseudo way because of the bathing suit and the swim instructor or whatever. For her, death appears to be like if she drowns. So here, she's reliving it. Yeah. Well, it's because beforehand she hadn't talked about it, right? She hadn't Mm -hmm. even processed it. It was still like a a subconscious part of her. Mm -hmm. Um, It it was still sort of just laying inside dormant. dormant. Yeah. And it was only when she talked to Tuka about it that she decides, okay, I need to create this new memory. I need Mm -hmm. to figure out how to heal. But kind of going back to that thought, uh, one of the things I so loved about her sinking again, again, this final obstacle, Mm -hmm. was that you see this younger version of her, this dead part of her. And it's this idea of, can she get past her trauma? Can she swim Mm -hmm. past it? It almost seems impossible. She's going to sink. It's going to be Mm -hmm. inevitable. She's going to be figuratively killed in theory or literally killed by like mm-hmm. by by this lake but what's so nice is that she sees this younger version of herself hugs her mm-hmm. and there's comfort there like i see you 
I recognize you've gone mm-hmm. through this traumatic experience because she never got that recognition. Exactly. And then they swim together and they both resurface together. Mm-hmm. So they survive. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this child part of her, this like innocent part of her comes to the surface. Mm-hmm. Um, and it allows, like it's interesting because then you see her like accomplish her childhood dream. Next episode is molting season. So there's mm-hmm. a certain childlike innocence That's to that. That's true. And not only that, but of transformation, of yeah. shedding the feathers for new feathers like she's doing exactly yeah Mm -hmm. so she's she's molting she's becoming a new person Mm -hmm. she's gonna open up her own bakery like all these positive things Mm -hmm. happen after this and it is on molting day that she tells speckle because of things that have happened to me in my past i've been afraid to trust people and i used to think this is just who i am but i don't want to be that person anymore so she has this big self revelation Mm -hmm. because of the lake thing again on molting day which is so fitting yeah (laughs) And so she's on her way to being better, and it's not fully there yet. Like, she's still not able to talk to Speckle, and I think that's important for for the writers to show just because even though you deal with your trauma, you confront it, you're Mm -hmm. not 100% right now. Yeah, and it's something that survivors ask me over and over again. How do you tell your significant other? When do you bring it up if you start dating somebody? Is it like on your third date? By the way, (laughs) I am a rape survivor. Five dates until yeah. the reveal. <laughs> or like if it happened to you so long ago, when is the appropriate time to bring it up? And it's difficult and survivors don't know how to go about it. So I feel like there's a really good opportunity with the show here to help other survivors yeah. see that there is a way to talk about it and it doesn't have to be this horrifying big thing. Yeah. Um, I feel it can serve as a good guide and inspiration. Exactly. First, find someone you trust. It doesn't have to be a partner, right? Mm-hmm. And then figure out things from there. Yeah. If it's healing for you. If it's, if it's not, healing, yeah. If it's not healing for you to talk about it, do not force yourself exactly. to talk about it. When your subconscious is ready yeah. to talk about it, it will come out. You will want to talk about it. One thing mm-hmm. that you can't do is you can't rush the healing of trauma. You just yeah. have to let it be and let it do its own thing. Yeah. And I also just want to say how brilliant it was in the first episode that Tuka or in the second episode but I remember the first episodes mm-hmm. Birdie talks to her boss about the beach mm. and she says that she doesn't go to the beach because she's afraid the crabs will pinch her butt <laughs> and that is mind-blowing <laughs> foreshadowing for the lake episode when a crab pinches Tuka's butt <laughs> and she's like oh no an obstacle <laughs> So one of the interesting things is that Tuca at first, like I remember during the first watch, was a little bit more obtuse. It was less obvious what the writing was trying to do with her. Um, I remember one of the things that we had kind of discussed was that she was very Todd-esque. Character in Bojack, Todd, who is just very, very random. Like all of his B-plots tend to be really, really random. Tuca kind of felt the same way. But I think like so much of her experience... When <laughs> <laughs> we talk about her, I picture her doing that stupid crab walk when she has a sex box, scratching her crotch <laughs> going down the street. Quintessential <laughs> <laughs> Tuka. <laughs> she loves herself in some mm-hmm. ways, right? And, like, and she's so kind of willing to be herself in open mm-hmm. spaces. And even the inside Tuka's head, Bertie says, you are who you are and that's good. And that's good because you need to love yourself, right? And it's about, that's kind of self-love. It's, mm-hmm. it's like you recognizing that you're a good person, you're a great person, like love who you are. And that you're enough. And that also. you're enough, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what happens with Tuka here. And that's, that's kind of what I love about her is that she has that confidence. Mm-hmm. But is also kind of going through this inter- interesting transition. She's been sober for six months. She's trying to deal with that new reality. She's mm-hmm. 
dealing with all of the vulnerability that comes with that, right? Mm -hmm. When she wasn't sober, she was able to kind of check out of the world to some extent mm -hmm. and like kind of carry on in her fun kind of wacky way without mm -hmm. being concerned about the consequences. Mm -hmm. Now she's kind of realizing that there are consequences to that. Mm -hmm. And what I find so interesting about her is that she's very adrift as a person. Like, she doesn't really have a stable job. She kind of does a ton of part-time jobs. She doesn't really know where she wants to be. But Birdie has this dream of, like, okay, I want to open a bakery. I want to get the promotion. Like, she has these kind of steps that she wants. Like, she wants to live with Speckle. Tuka doesn't have that. She doesn't know what she wants, except for the kids. I relate to that so much. I'm, like, trying to figure out who I am. And so her kind of lostness feels so real in a sense even though she's very very wacky oh my god Ash, so we are Tuka and Birdie now we just need to be a more like Tuka <laughs> maybe minus the sex box but yeah so there's there's so much to kind of love about her and and of course her trauma her mother died when she was younger she was kind of separated from her siblings and the only family member who she regularly sees is her Aunt Tallulah. But she's this really passive-aggressive, bitter old woman Ugh. who is just really awful to Tuka whenever Tuka shows up. And she's also a bit of a, a, a bit of a lush. She, like, drinks constantly. Clearly is not happy a with her life. A bit of a lush. <laughs> <laughs> we will not count the amount of glasses that he piled up in that episode. And one of the good things about that episode, at least one of the things I really like, is that Tuka eventually stands up for herself. Mm. But the insecurity that Tallulah instills in her mm -hmm. carries throughout the rest of the season. She doesn't want to take the last box that's at yeah. Birdie's place because she's afraid that if she takes all of her stuff away, she won't have mm -hmm. an excuse to come see Birdie anymore and then they'll stop being friends and yeah. then she'll end up all alone. Mm -hmm. Which is interesting enough, a fear I think Birdie has as well. It sounds very much like, like Birdie. Yeah, because during the episode where they buy the house and she has this vision with the mortgage, of like five years from then. Yes. But not only do Birdie and Speckle look old, but apparently as soon as they signed the mortgage, she stopped talking to Tuka. Yeah. And so there's this notion of her being alone with Speckle. And that being death to her, which is so interesting. So I think that's a fear Birdie has, mm -hmm. but definitely Tuka is so afraid of being alone. And that's such a central theme in molting season as well, when mm -hmm. her sister won't call her. And molting, uh, molting day is all about family. Mm -hmm. Like that's what the little quasi-nativity scene yes, yes. is all about and she doesn't have any family besides Birdie and that kills her and I think that constantly she's dealing with this whole like fear of being alone when her and Birdie mm -hmm. aren't talking she goes to a club to be surrounded by people mm -hmm. but she's never really dancing with anybody mm -hmm. she's sort of just doing it alone and then as soon as the music stops and she's alone with her thoughts that freaks her out completely mm -hmm. Tuga's big skill is like being a people person she's able to kind of connect with people in ways that are really, really unique. Like, just look at the promotion episode. The promotion episode is also interesting because before, when you're talking about Tuka being adrift, she was offered the promotion that Birdie wanted. And even if she didn't want that job because Birdie wanted that job, the boss loved her. She could have easily gotten a full-time job there, but she didn't want it. She's afraid of that permanence. Like, it's a weird sense that she wants permanence, but is afraid of it at the same time. Just like Birdie, who wants a relationship, she wants that closeness, but at the yeah. same time, she's afraid of it. Exactly. So I think her fear of being alone is why she wants 12 kids, actually. Ah. Yeah, yeah. So, like, the big family is because, interestingly, like, Michael Scott from The Office is kind of like this, I've been realizing. I've been watching huh. The Office recently. He wants friends. He wants friends and like he doesn't want to be alone because he's been alone and friendless a lot of his life and that's why he sort of projects on the people in the office. But his idea of having friends is kids. He's like, oh, I want children because they'll be built-in friends. But I think Tuka kind of operates in a similar way. Like she loves her family but feels very separate from them and that's why she wants a big family because she right. won't be alone that way. 
and she like wants to be a mom because she wants to be able to nurture them in the way that her mother did her. Again, at the same time, she doesn't take the steps in order to get that, really. Right. She's, she's afraid to. Like, the one date she goes on, because she's not drunk, she's afraid to be vulnerable. She doesn't connect with the guy properly. Yeah. doesn't even know his name. <laughs> <laughs> Deli guy. Deli guy. And at the end, ends up alone. The whole thing about kids is such a big part of her thematic anyway. Right. Which brings up the motif of the egg. I think the first instinct the egg motif is when Tuca gets sick and we mm. find out that there's an egg. They say the egg is trapped, wrapped around in her uterus. So then they surgically remove the egg and then she eats it. Yeah. And the surgery brings up another important thing where she finally admits she also has a fear of loss of control, which is symptomatic of trauma. Yeah. Feeling like if you're not in control then something bad is gonna happen. Yeah, yeah, no definitely. Which makes sense, right? She had her her mother died. Mm -hmm. She obviously like when she was a child, she you clearly don't have control over death, especially like and somebody else's health. Mm -hmm. Like definitely not something you have control mm -hmm. over. Maybe that's also why she got into drinking is because it was something she controlled about right. herself. Even though it was self destructive and like yeah. arguably was not controlled, it's something Absolutely. she controlled. You know, Tuka like kind of bridges that divide constantly, right? She's kind of constantly a little bit out of control. Mm -hmm. But at least in control of being out of control. Yeah. <laughs> As a funny kind of... It's also very similar <clears throat> to the relationship that she has with Birdie. It verges on being codependent, but it's also yeah. a very healthy relationship. But I want to talk more about this egg motif. Yeah, the egg motif is very interesting. So she gets an egg twisted in her uterus. It's going to kill her if they don't take it out. And then she eats it. That's so fucking <laughs> weird. And the next instance of an egg is when she goes... And starts her cult. Yes, oh god. <laughs> I, I forgot what it's called. I love con. Con, yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's fantastic. And the building is shaped like an egg, and then the egg catches fire, <laughs> just like Ashley said to me earlier. Like, the first egg is fried in a pan. This egg is also fried, <laughs> like, with fire. <laughs> and then the last instance of eggs is when they go to the jelly lakes and they meet Birdie's a coach and the coach's wife mm -hmm. makes art out of broken eggs because she says something along the lines of how nice it is to be able to take something broken and with a little bit of patience be able to turn it into something beautiful. Yeah. I think that's the thing, like, one of the reasons why Tuka ends up eating the egg, it's a way to sort of reclaim control of that in a weird mm -hmm. way. Like, you were out of my control, you did something to me, and I didn't mm -hmm. like that. But it's also symptomatic of her not being sure what to do with it, right? Like, mm. it's interesting that the hospital gets her in this like, nice little basket. Right. They kind of, like, pretty it up for her, and she's just like, what am I going to do with this? And she doesn't know at that point how to create something with that, because it's a part of her, but also, like, not a part of her. It's, like, right. this kind of broken thing. And so the only thing she knows what to do is to eat it, mm -hmm. to fry it, to, like, almost to reconsume, make it a part right. of her again. Mm -hmm. But she doesn't finish eating it. And that, that makes me think of, like, there's this weird motherhood element to the motif. Because they're birds, right? Mm. And then the, the eggs would turn into... And so there's something that makes me think, specifically with the broken eggs and Tuca's interest in them. I think it's almost like a failed instance, right? Of, of what could have been. Right, exactly. Like, and I guess potential in an interesting way, right? Right, exactly. It's, it's a potential for a child, it's the potential for another world. The egg in that episode as well ends up being a place of transformation, a place of potential. You go there to change yourself, right? Um, but Pat's eggs, Pat's um, Maple's wife, um, Maple is the coach, 
she is taking broken things, literally empty eggs, which would have been thrown away anyway that nobody wants to use. Um, and she sees potential in them, and she recreates... She doesn't create something new necessarily, but she recreates the past. She kind of takes memories from her life, right, and kind of captures them. And her dreams. And her dreams. And so maybe that's that potential again. If you want to kind of associate, like, the creation of an egg in, like, childhood to, like, creation as in creative potential, then this Mm -hmm. is, like, taking that creative potential and moving it in a different direction. Right, that's true. Yeah. But Tuka doesn't have the patience for it, which is the interesting thing, right? Well, she does make an egg in the end of her and her mom. Yeah. But beforehand, like, she tries to just create a, like, silly face egg, yeah, and she's she like, oh, I'm done. A joke. Yeah. And Pat's like, well, you don't get it right on the first try. You need... It, she implies that you need patience for this. Right. Or I feel like she admires Tuka because she says, Maybe. like, oh, I wasn't happy with a mind mm-hmm. until, like, a lot of tries. And Tuka's happy just being, like, silly. Yeah, that's you know? true. She's happy with <laughs> the Yeah, symbol. exactly. So I feel like she admires Tuka yeah. in a way for that. Not needing yeah. to be a perfectionist yeah. or whatever, just... Being Tuka. That's also true. <laughs> but Tuka wants to be Pat, right? She says, like, oh, I almost want to be her yes. when she was talking yes, about yes. her in the egg. And so it's interesting because maybe in that moment when she's patient, this is what I was thinking of, when she's patient with Birdie when Birdie's talking about her story, it's only after that that she's able to make her own egg about her own trauma with her mom, right? Right, right. And so it's that moment of patience, that moment of understanding that turns into creative potential with this other egg. Or maybe seeing Birdie deal with her trauma might give her the courage to start facing it as well, because the drinking was obviously just an escape. Yeah. So now I feel like she's starting to actually deal with her trauma as well, especially because she realizes that the phone calls that she dreads are important to her. Yeah. And she makes an effort and she calls her family when they don't call her yeah. and I feel like that's such a big moment for her yeah no it's true mm. I think that's that's the, that is a pretty important thing like she's actually taking a step like so much mm-hmm. of what Tuka is what she does throughout the show she's very impulsive mm-hmm. she's also self-destructive and doesn't properly go for what she wants right she kind of like even the date with Delhi guy is kind of like hoisted upon her by Birdie right it's more like it's and she even says like it's not something I felt good about mm-hmm. but I went along with it Partly just because Birdie was so excited. But anyway, so I think Tuka, throughout so much of the show, is very self-destructive. She gets, like, that jaguar to show she's responsible. Oh, God. But she can't control it at all, right? Like, it destroys her house, nearly kills a guy. It's only Speckle, who's, like, the responsible one, who stands his ground and is able to, like, say no. And Draco, who seems to have her shit together, mm-hmm. that, like, is able to control the jaguar. Whereas, like, Tuka's definitely not. And she can't even, like, take care of her apartment. It's always yep. a mess. Mm-hmm. It's only the last episode that she cleans up her yep. apartment figures out what's important to her. Exactly. And then calls her family. And speaking of that is also a very important moment in like the trauma history stuff because before she acknowledges her trauma, starts thinking about it, makes the egg, when she's cleaning her apartment, she wants to keep everything except yes. for like two or three things. And one of the things that she wants to throw out is a family photo. Yeah, yeah. And she crumples it up and she says cheesy and she's going to throw it away whereas she's keeping all this other I junk. Know. To me, that's her trying to suppress her feelings about family. Like, I don't need a family. I'm alone. I'm good. I have Birdie. Whatever. I can do this. Mm -hmm. And then after the lakes, she realizes that no family is important to her, that she needs her family. And so she takes the, uncrumples the picture, puts it above her bed with the egg of her and her mom. Yeah. And she's able to help Birdie accomplish her dream, right? Mm -hmm. She's, She's done that before, but 
Presumably, maybe she'll even continue to help Birdie with the whole bakery thing. That would be so sweet. Yeah, and maybe that'll be her permanent job from then, from then on. Mm-hmm. Like she's, she'll find her path in a way. Tuka kind of gets what Birdie needs, and vice versa, even if the other can't really realize it at the time. So when, in the episode where Birdie is afraid to go outside, uh, or she's having an anxiety-ridden day, she has a presentation at work. She doesn't want to go to it. She doesn't want to leave the house because she's afraid of everything. Tuka kind of forces her to. And she says, like, oh, no, it'll only take 10 minutes. It's like a minor thing. And she claims that she, Tuka, Birdie has to go with her because otherwise Tuka can't focus, which is true. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it might also be her subtle way. She's been living with Birdie for a while. It's her subtle way of helping Birdie deal with this trauma, deal with this agoraphobia, by like kind of forcing her out of her comfort zone a little bit and sort of showing her not everything is going to be terrible. Yeah, I don't even know. I don't think it's a conscious thing. Okay. In this instant. I think that's why Tuka and Birdie are just good for each other. They're very yin and yang, and they kind of just yeah. are what the other person needs. Tuka is kind of irresponsible or whatever, but, but Birdie is there for her to help her with these decisions or whatever. Birdie is very shy and like non-assertive and whatever, but Tuka is there to help her get that promotion that she wants. Right, yeah. yeah. The Sex Bugs episode made me think of, again, this weird maternal thing with Tuka, why did she not want to kill those <laughs> sex bugs? Why was she obsessed with protecting those sex bugs? Maybe because they remind her of her that they just want a party? Yeah, it's true. They are kind of, they come from her, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And she like she's the one who's responsible for making them big. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So maybe it is a motherhood thing. She even named them. Yeah, that's true. Like um, Athena, she's the smart one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think that makes sense. Like Again, Tuka's interesting. She clearly engages in unsafe practices. Like, she goes to Sex Bug Lane, <laughs> pees in the Sex Bug bush, bush, wipes with it. <laughs> it's like, okay, Tuka, I don't know how you did not see that this was going to be a problem. <laughs> but clearly, she engages in the kind of like unsafe practices. Mm-hmm. So, if you want to use this as a sort of metaphor for pregnancy, which I don't think the show is trying to do, no. But if you wanted to interpret it that way, then you, you could, could probably. The yeah. material is there to interpret. But yeah, no, I think Tuka and Birdie are yin and yang in so many ways. You see that in kind of. Uh, during the whole con episode, the cult episode, when yes. she finally gets that moment of silence mm-hmm. and she has to confront her inner birdie. They reform into this whole yin and yang yep. kind of thing. And again, Tuka's loud, Birdie's quiet. Tuka's this kind of creative, chaotic force. Mm-hmm. Birdie tends to be very lawful. She's very orderly. Mm-hmm. And also creative. I don't want to say she yeah, isn't. She came up with that choquette thing. Yeah, exactly. And like the sweet beak stuff as well. Yep. So she's definitely creative, but creative in a very different way. Yep. Like it's all very structured. Baking mm-hmm. is like about timing. It's about yes, like exactly. the right ingredients. Rules and all that measuring stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Whereas like even Tuka's mind when you go in there, like it's made of yarn, it's made of clay, it's made of so many different right. things. All these like creative mediums. Yeah. So they are kind of yin and yang and they balance each other out that way and they help each other do things, mm-hmm. I think, and as, as, as the most important thing. It's very yeah. interesting. Another interesting thing about the relationship between Birdie and Tuka is that Birdie is more open to Tuka than she is with Speckle, which makes a lot of sense to me because I'm in a very similar boat to Birdie. (laughs) I also have a lot of fear of commitment. I feel like friendship is just safer than a relationship, but also she's probably, she's known Tuka for longer than Speckle, and she trusts Tuka. Tuka's not judgmental. Mm-hmm. And not that Speckle is, but you could get the sense that he could be, I think. Yeah. Because it's it's hard to... 
like you sort of see what his inner life is and it's very simple like he he wants to be he likes honesty he likes openness like his ideal version of porn is two birds one nest yeah. <laughs> um but very like <laughs> it's about like almost like a wholesome relationship in a weird way i'm so happy that we're moving in together i want your full consent <laughs> to put it here <laughs> And so struggle doesn't have these problems, but it's like it's so hard to fully understand the mind of somebody. I and think that's why he doesn't understand Birdie. He doesn't appear to have any like trauma of any yeah. kind. He's too well adjusted. <laughs> he knows what he wants. His his mind is perfectly fine. Yeah. Like no wonder he can't understand Birdie. Whereas Tuka has her own trauma, definitely. Tuka's kind of open with everything, so why can't Birdie be open with everything? She also has her own hang-ups, so Birdie can have her own hang-ups, and there's mm -hmm. like this kind of meeting in the middle. And when Birdie needs to get away, she feels so ashamed about the whole Dakota Pete thing. Oh, oh my god, that was brilliant. <laughs> but she finds Tuka, and Tuka's there it's for true. her. It's true. Even though they've been fighting, so oh, it's like... so good. Yeah, yeah. Shame is one of the biggest consequences of sexual violence. It's basically the feeling that other people don't understand you so it's mm. very isolating oh I, f I flipped my shit when i saw that <laughs> that the sign turned into shame because i wrote a whole paper about shame and i'm like yes <laughs> i'm losing my shit <laughs> <laughs> but in a good way in a good way this time But yeah, so for, for Tuka and Birdie, like they're they're able to kind of overcome these differences. And maybe Speckle also has to kind of realize some things. Yeah. And then maybe next season they can fully yeah. bridge that gap. I think he has a lot of growing to do as well. It doesn't seem like he realizes yeah. that she's this traumatized. Tuka understands exactly. In the sex mm -hmm. bug episode, she's like, oh, you're having a case of the Birdies. And then she lays it out flat like you hate having a body, yes. anxiety, all of these things. Mm -hmm. She really understands how Birdie is feeling, whereas Speckle just tries to take this fucking invisible oh, vacuum and like, oh, I'm sucking up your anxiety. It's like, no, oh. she's not a fucking kid. Yeah, like, no. you know? you, like, that's not the way you deal with it. Like, exactly. It's not how you, she's going to get over it. It's a very superficial yeah. way of trying to deal with it, and that's the problem with Speckle. Yeah, he also tries to force her to go to work, right? Whereas Tuka, like, grabs the phone, writes the message for her, and it's like, true. oh, you're taking the day off. <laughs> In a very self-serving kind of way. In a very self-serving, yeah. But still kind it's of. It's also what's best for yeah. Birdie, though, because it forces her to go out to the grocery store, be alone without Tuka. So yeah, Tuka gets her. I think they needed those two months away from each other mm -hmm. to sort of figure stuff out. And it's interesting, too, because for a while, Birdie has a new best friend, Dakota, and they mm. really emphasize how they have so much in common, yeah. and you think that that means they're going to have an amazing relationship, but in the end, that relationship doesn't last, and it's yeah. not what Birdie needs. She doesn't need somebody who's so similar to her. She needs somebody exactly. like Tuka to balance yeah. her out. Mm -hmm. And encourage her to do things she wouldn't have done. Yeah, right? exactly. Dakota wouldn't have gotten her that promotion. Dakota wouldn't have mm -hmm. pushed her out into the grocery store, even though she was afraid to. Yeah. And most of all she told her was like, you know that what Pete is doing is wrong, right? And then she walks away. It's it's Tuka eventually who helps Birdie realize, oh, I need to confront Pete. Yeah. Yell at him. Right, actually, that's a very important point because the moment she gets in there, Pete tries to assert control over her again. She tries to take the apron off when he puts it on her and then he puts it back on her. Mm -hmm. Says like, we're going to be working very closely together. And it's only when... Tuka nudges her that Birdie snaps yeah, out of it exactly. and tells him off. Yeah, yeah. 
And I think it's interesting because Tuku's all about loudness, right? Like, she can't keep anything in. She can't deal with her inner life, so she spells it outward. Mm-hmm. Whereas Brit is the opposite. It's all about, like... Um, I mean, she's into dancing and stuff, but she also can be quiet and kind of meditative. Yeah. Like, I, like that's the sense you kind of get from her. Mm-hmm. Brady offers Tuka that chance to kind of expel that noise, right. but also kind of forces her to recenter herself in right. interesting ways. Yeah. So, Tuka and Birdie, final grade? A funky B+. 75%. Yeah, a solid 75%. I love how it talks about sexual violence trauma. I love how it talks about other forms of trauma as mm-hmm. well with Tuka losing her mom and just the very different ways that they deal or don't deal with their trauma. I think the testimony that Birdie gave of her sexual violence was brilliantly executed. But what didn't work for me was the first few episodes. The first few episodes were definitely rocky. There were some times I was like, okay, where is it going with this? There was a little bit of fluff there. I also didn't like how sexualized it was Mm -hmm. in the beginning because... There's a fine line between showing nudity as empowerment and then just when it becomes indulging. So I Mm -hmm. feel like maybe a fear there was, oh, because this is about women, the men won't have anything interesting for them in the show. So why don't we just put a couple of breasts everywhere? And Tuka was a little bit too out of control for me in the beginning. Mm -hmm. She was like Todd, but like to the extreme. And I feel like they were doing that to be different. Really like (laughs) wild and out there. And I feel like it just doesn't have to be that wild and out there you know it kind of reminds me of bob's burgers when they pitched the show they were supposed to be cannibals because they wanted the show to stand out and then the network's like do they have to be cannibals no and that's the thing when you have really good characters you don't need a setting or circumstances which are extreme because we want to spend time with those characters we want to see what their life is like we're invested in them because they're interesting and you don't need anything else so solid b plus for me yeah, I think similar reasons. I think the first few episodes were definitely rocky. They were a lot more zany with the animation, which is fine. It just like set a weird tone because the rest of it like felt a lot more serious and kind of more down to earth. And again, I love Tuka. I see so much of myself in Tuka. It took a while to appreciate her, and that's really unfortunate. Like mm-hmm. I feel like she became so strong in the last like f- three to four episodes. Whereas the first few, she's really, really lost, and you're really not sure what they're trying to accomplish, what message they're trying to send. So... Again, love Birdie, love her storyline, like love all of it as a whole, but could be better. Well, that's all for now. Thank you. Bye.